Thanks for pressing play. This is Milena Regus with the Unhustle Podcast, a podcast where we challenge hustle, busyness, burnout, stress, always-on mentality, and life in the fast lane. A podcast where we transform lives, inspire change, and shift perspectives. A place where we redefine a new, or shall we say, an old way of living. We share stories of people who will inspire you, challenge you, and motivate you to unhustle, claim back your time, follow your dreams, and live a happier, healthier, and more fulfilling life. Thank you for joining us. Now let's dive in. Carol, you're amazing. Let's see, the Globe and Mail call you the global guru on the slow movement. The Wall Street Journal calls you the all-in-demand spokesman on slowness. And ABC TV News, the godfather of the slow movement, and I feel so privileged to have some time this morning, my morning, your evening, to spend with you and talk about the slow movement and your story and your aha moment. I um, am so fortunate. I found your TED Talk and then um, I, I did have a chance to read your uh, first book. I think it was your first book. So um, fantastic, fantastic read. I definitely want to read the rest of them. Thank you so much for spending some time with me today as we talk about slow movement. Thank you. Good to be with you. I'm always happy to talk about slow. Can you take me back to that one moment in your life when you were at the airport and you picked up that um, read about the one minute bedtime story and you basically you had your aha moment. Can you take me there for just a second and, and what was that like? And uh, for those of you that haven't read the story um, or the book, maybe you can, you can bring us back to the aha moment right away. And then I want to specifically focus on your time on the plane. Sure. Well, I, I think when we get stuck in fast forward, it often takes a shock to the system or a wake-up call to make us realize that we have forgotten how to slow down and that we're racing through our lives instead of living them and that all the speed is hurting us. And I, I had my wake-up call when I started reading bedtime stories to my son and I found that I could not slow down in the evening. So I'd go into his room, speed read Snow White, <laughs> you know, I'd be skipping lines and paragraphs and I became an expert in what I call the multiple page turn technique which I think any parent out there will recognize and it you know we were my, my version of Snow White had three dwarves it was that bad and I, I, I did get to the stage where I was in an airport I was skimming a newspaper article with time-saving tips for fast people like me to go even faster and one of those tips mentioned this book called the one minute bedtime story and I really remember myself thinking hallelujah right great idea I need that book now Amazon drone delivery <laughs> but there was a second, it was, it was a real light bulb over the head moment. I suddenly, it was like an out-of-body experience where I could see myself from the ceiling. And what I saw there was just ugly and unedifying. And I thought, whoa, has it really come to this? Am I really in such a hurry? I'm prepared to fob off my little boy with a soundbite instead of a story at the end of the day. And I, it just, that shook me to the core. I realized that I was stuck on a hamster wheel. I was turning every moment of my life into a dash to a finish line that I was never, ever reaching. And, and this was backfiring, I mean, in so many ways. And so I, I got on the plane, and I did something which I'd never done 
really before probably, or certainly for a long time, which was that I just did nothing. I sat on that plane for a couple hours, didn't reach for the in-flight magazine, pull out my laptop, didn't get my phone out. Mm. I just sat there and I, I just thought, you know, I just reflected, which is something I think few of us do nowadays. We're always reacting rather than reflecting. We don't take time to let our minds wander. We don't think deeply about stuff. And I, I thought very deeply for that two-hour flight home. And I got off at the other end and I just thought, you know, well, I, I have to change. I, I, I cannot carry on like this. I'm, you know, why am I rushing? Why am I in such a hurry? What am I running to? What am I running from? And, and that was a starting point for investigating not only my own addiction to speed and busyness, going faster all the time, but also to understand the bigger picture. And that led on to writing my, my first book and becoming this <laughs> accidental guru of slow, I suppose, in, in the world. <laughs> I love that story. And it's so important. I mean, what you're talking about is pretty much similar to my own story and my own aha moment. But yeah, I was a frazzled, go, 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 um, always on person. And I ended up going to Baja and uh, spending 10 days digital detoxing. And I was floating in this Sea of Cortez. And I had that same um, aha moment. Like what, what, you know, life, you know, life is so short. And what are we constantly um, striving for and pursuing? And how can we change our mindset to, to, to slow down and to, you know, um, change your life and focus on what's really important, what, what really makes you happy. So I think, I think that's why I was so attracted to you. It's because of, of this very similar moment. Now, um, I, I think what you did on that plane is exactly what's missing in today's society. It's that time to, to reflect and be still and, be with your own thoughts, you know, we, I mean, we're so bombarded with information and it's great information, right? Podcasts and books and, and everything, but we just don't sit with ourselves. We've lost, we've lost the art of doing nothing. Yep. We've lost the art of, of doing things just for the, the sake of doing them. <laughs> and we've lost the art of being alone with ourselves. I think mean, we've lost three arts, very important arts that are at the core of what it is to be human and to live a life worthy of the name. Yes, exactly. And that's, that was going to lead me to my next question. Why, why, is, why is slow so important in today's society? And you live in a very fast city. I live in the, uh, in the absolute opposite um, spectrum. You know, I'm, I'm in the woods. I'm in, in Lake Tahoe. I'm connected with the lake, connected with nature. But I, and, and so I'm losing that, that speed and, and fast a little bit from, from an outside perspective. But I still have it very much so from a working perspective. So I want, I want you to talk a little bit as to why being slow is important and how exactly did you change your life after that plane ride? Well, what I start off by saying is that let's kind of define our terms here, maybe, because when I talk about slow with a capital S, I don't mean doing everything slowly, you know, in slow motion. I mean, that would be absurd. I'm not a fundamentalist or an extremist of slowness. I love speed, right? Faster is often better. That's one reason I live in, in London. Uh, this whole slow philosophy that I'm working with and promoting is, is the idea of doing things at the right speed, right? So that sometimes you're fast, sometimes you're slow. Uh, you know, you're on, you're off, you, you, you lean in, you lean back, eye of the storm, eye of the tiger, right? It's that kind of balance. It's that dance between the different speeds. When you're doing things at the right speed, things just work, right? You enjoy them more, you're in the moment. 
and, and I think you could talk about slow as being being mindful, being present, doing one thing at a time. There are lots of ways to describe it, but what it is not is doing everything slowly. So that I put that on the table as, as at the start. But once you get that in your head, you realize that coming back to what you were saying about being in Tahoe and Slow is ultimately a mindset, right? You can be slow in the sense of not feeling rushed, doing things at the right speed, getting through each moment, not as fast as possible, but as well as possible, because that's the ultimate essence of the slow philosophy. You can do that anywhere. You can do it in downtown London, the middle of Tokyo, Manhattan, or you can do it in Lake Tahoe, right? It's how you approach time. It's how you move through the world. It's how you do things, right? And with what kind of spirit. So you, you can you can actually do it anywhere, I find. I, I think I had a prejudice when I began researching this subject, thinking, well, if I'm going to slow down and reconnect with my inner tortoise, I'm going to have to leave London and throw my iPhone up the window and get off grid and grow organic carrots, right? But that's one form of slow. It's not the only one. And, and people can be slow anywhere, slow with a capital S in the sense of not feeling rushed. Right. So that's how I am now. I live in a very, very volcanically energetic and fast-moving city. But I'll tell you what, I don't feel rushed anymore, ever. I used to feel rushed all the time. My before and after are very clear. Before, every moment of my day was a race against the clock, and I felt like I was just constantly running to stand still. And even then, I was falling behind because I just everything was moving so fast. I was moving fast with the wrong spirit. But now I don't feel that way. I get lots done. I have an interesting life. I do, I, you know, I love to make the most of London, but I don't ever feel rushed anymore. And I think that's the key is what you feel on the inside. It matters less what people see on the outside because we're all different. We all have our own personal metronome. What's fast for me might be slow for you and what's slow for you might be super slow for someone else. And it's really a very personal thing, I think. And it's about finding the right rhythm, tempo, cadence, speed whatever the word you like best is to, to move through every moment of the day. And so once you kind of get that chip, you know, trying to striving for that right speed approach to life, then of course there are lots of concrete hacks you can make to get there, right? To change the way your world is so that you can find that right speed, that tempo justo as musicians call it for yourself. So, you know, one starting point for me was, and I think for everybody when it comes to slowing down, it was doing less, right? You know, we're chronically trying to do way too many things in this world. And it's not surprising because the whole world is this amazing buffet of stuff to do and consume and experience. And we want to have it all, but having it all is just a recipe for hurrying it all. So part of my slowing down was prioritizing, was saying, okay, these are the things that really matter to me, that put fire in my belly and that I want to get up in the morning to do everything else as far as possible, I'm just going to let go. And at first, that's a little frightening because we are all marinated in this FOMO culture. We don't want to say no ever to anything. But, but saying no is so much a part of going slow, right? My first book, the title, outside the United States anyway, was in praise of slow. I think it very easily could have been praise of no, right? right. By doing fewer things. Um, so I, I just started thinking hard about what really mattered to me. And I discovered once I did that and had that filter that as I looked at my planner, I found so many things that weren't that important <laughs> and were very easy to drop yeah. and create more space and oxygen in my, and, and of course, there's a great quote comes to mind now from Warren Buffett, the legendary investor who once said, the difference between successful people and very successful people is very successful people say no to almost everything. And I've seen that in my own life that I feel a lot more 
successful by conventional measures and metrics now um, because I'm doing less, right? I'm doing fewer things, but I'm enjoying them more and doing them way better at work and in everything. And so less is more, you know, do, do fewer things. If I can just, as a footnote, throw in one sort of tip on how to do that. I, I keep what's called, a, what I call anyway, not-to-do lists. We all have to-do lists, but I think it's useful to have a not-to-do list as well. Why? Because because of this whole FOMO panic thing about never saying no and fearing that if you say no, a door will close in your face forever, it makes it hard for us to drop things from our to-do list. But if you take something off your to-do list today and put it on your not-to-do list and then keep that not-to-do list in a drawer or on a file on your computer and then look at it six months from now or six weeks from now and you see the things that today felt impossible to drop, six weeks later when you've got a bit of perspective time-wise, you realize you've probably forgotten those things. They weren't that important. They, they felt important because they were sort of urgent or someone was leaning on you to do them at the time, but actually they were not that important. And you look at your not-to-do list later and you just feel a kind of relief wash over you because you realize that actually in this world, there are very few things that are actually important. Most of the rest is just stuffing and filler. And a not-to-do list, I think, is a really helpful way to keep that longer-term perspective and to make it easier for you, for you, for me, for all of us, to take that step towards just pruning our schedules a little bit. We are so much on the same page, Carl. I mean, you, you put it so eloquently out there, but I, it's so amazing um, how much I've, I've came to the realization that, yes, absolutely, less is more. Focus on what's important. Focus on your priorities. Live out of um, your most important values in life. And it's a struggle for me, continues to be a struggle to like learning to say no, because especially, you know, starting a new business right now, I mean, I have all these really big dreams and I want to do all these amazing things. And it's really um, hard. I mean, it's hard for me. It's hard for, for other people to, to learn to say no, but it's so critical in that um, quest for happiness and for being present and being more mindful and, you know, going through life with with what brings you joy at the end of the day, right? So um, it, it, it's definitely, um, it hasn't happened overnight for me. Um, and I don't think that's a realistic thing for, for to ask people to do. It's not going to happen overnight. But like you said, you gave some really good good ideas, like figure out what's important, what's, what's the most important thing in your life. And it's going to be different for everyone. And then um, maybe having a... a what not to do list. I, I love that idea as well. Yeah. And, and, and also remember, you know, the not to do list will give you some medium term perspective, but also think really big picture, you know, what, what are you going to look back on at the end of your life and really cherish? I mean, nobody lies in their deathbed and thinks, I wish I'd spent more time on Facebook or even I wish I spent more time in meetings at work. Right. right. I mean, the, the things that really light us up, and they give life meaning, texture, color, purpose, depth, all the stuff we want in life tend to be the things that get pushed by the wayside as we rush around trying to do lots of productive stuff. You know, we remember those long lunches we had with our family in the back garden or that long walk we had with our grandmother a month before she died. You know, those small or reading bedtime stories to our children without trying to skip pages and um, you know, have a three three dwarf version of Snow White. <laughs> those things, those are the things that light us up, make us who we are, and yet those are the things we give so little time and attention to. So, a big part of this slowing down is a tectonic rethink 
about what's important, what really matters in our lives. And, and that's not to say that work doesn't have an important role to play or can't be hugely fulfilling and, and important as well. But I, I think it's so important to take timeouts, to take moments to reflect and just and not just do it once, but to carry on checking back in with yourself to make sure you're keeping your compass pointed in the right direction, you're keeping the right balance between those, say, family moments or moments with people and the workplace and so on, and just keep talking. And also have friends around you who, who will tell you the, the raw, naked truth about whether you're getting out of sync, right? Sometimes it's helpful to have somebody who knows you well from the outside say, look, you know, Lena, you've, 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 you've started off with this priority, but that's shifted and you haven't maybe noticed. And so it's useful to have people around you, a tribe of people who can help um, yeah. keep you on the right path as well. Yeah, having that feedback is really critical. Yeah, so speaking of the uh, things people wish they had done at the end of their life, I just ran across uh, Bronnie Ware, who um, took care of um, dying people in the in the last years of their life and ended up writing an um, international best-selling book. So the five things, according to her, just kind of reiterate, reiterate, here, what we're talking about is basically uh, what people are saying is, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me, is number one. Number two is, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Number three is, I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. And I wish that I had let myself be happier which I think are pretty, pretty poignant things, really, to um, to what we're talking about. And the word courage um, stands out a lot in this. So, and that's the one thing I keep finding in people is building the courage to make that mindset shift and to allow themselves to be happier. I mean, you had the courage to to look at your life. And say, okay, what's really important to me? But but what do you say to the people that are that maybe like feel stuck and and say, okay, I have to go to work and I have to work eighty hours a week because I have to put my kids through college. Well, I think you, you can't change that kind of those circumstances or mindset in, in twenty four hours. I mean, that, the, 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 these things take time. But I, I think the, the the basic principle here is that. To, to avoid falling into that trap of waking up on your deathbed one day and thinking, I wish I'd lived the life that I wanted to instead of somebody else's life or a life that I felt I had to. The only way you can work out what your path is, is, is to slow down first, right? You need to take time to, for yourself to look inside, to ask and grapple with those big questions. You know, what matters to me? How, do, how, how can I leave the world a better place than I found it? What What do I want to remember 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 50 years from now? We don't ask ourselves those questions. All we ever do now when we're caught in this roadrunner, go faster, multitasking culture is we sweat the small stuff. You know, We ask ourselves, where are my keys? I'm late for my 11 a.m., right? And we just don't take the time to let the mind wander, to get to know ourselves. I think this is one of the things that... I talk a lot using the language of fast and slow, but I think fast is very often about an alienation from the self, right? And and part of the beauty and the power and the joy of slowing down is a, a reconnection with yourself, right? And, and this is something that therapists often talk to, that 
the, the final stage before burnout is very often a last burst of acceleration, right? As people try and un- run away from all their problems because speed, busyness, distraction, stimulation, in a way, are instruments of denial. They're a way of walling ourselves off from those big questions, walling ourselves off from the fact that maybe we are living the wrong life. Uh, and we just, it's easier to go a little faster, make ourselves a little busier, spend a bit more time scrolling through Instagram rather than pushing pause and saying, wait, I'm taking a few deep breaths and saying, okay, well, who am I? That really, really big question, who am I and what kind of life should I or do I want to be living? And, and that requires a slowing down, right? And that's why slowing down can be frightening at first for people because if you've been living a very fast, distracted life, perhaps a life that's not really your life, but just borrowed robes, it's, it's, it can be terrifying. And let's be honest, it can be frightening to confront that because you can, A, you think, well, I've maybe wasted a few years. B, you're going to have to make some changes that will be maybe difficult or might alienate people around you or disappoint someone or disappoint yourself at some level. And that, that can, be, can be frightening, but it's worth it, right? It's worth it to go through that fear and unease and malaise it's like, because you come out the other end and you are living your life then, which is really, that's the, the kind of jackpot, uh, is it not, right? To be living the right life for you, yeah. even if you have to go through some short-term pain to get there. Uh, I, think, I think it's more than worth it. Um, and, yeah. and in fact, that's what you find when you talk to people. And I, of course, through my work, I'm talking to people all the time who go through this process. And no one ever comes out the other end and thinks, Ooh, I wish I hadn't slowed down. <laughs> um, far from it. What everybody thinks is, I wish I'd done this sooner. Yes, exactly. Which what I, which is what I find so funny about this uh, hustle culture. Which I know. I told you, my niece is in London. Um, I thought it was a very um, American thing, but it's it isn't. It's it's an international thing. It's you know, it's in uh, all over the world. And basically, part of that hustle culture is work hard um, to create your best life. And this is what I find very contradictory. Um, So how do you feel about um, this hustle culture? And, And I can give you examples and quotes of people, especially in the US here, who go, you know, yeah, you can work 130 hour weeks, Um, You just have to be strategic about when you sleep and and when you take showers and when you go to the bathroom, which I find completely ridiculous. Or, um, you know, well, don't work 150-hour a week, but work 90-hour a week because that's completely manageable. And and there's some big, big names uh, saying these things to people, and people are falling for it. And they're just on the hamster wheel mentality that work, 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 because... Um, because one day I'll get to, you know, I'll get to slow down one day. I'll get to uh, unhustle one day, but I'm just not there yet. So, you know, I keep going back to, I want you to, to like dig in your memory and you, with your interaction with companies and with your interaction with people and see if you can give us some examples of like people that, that actually were able to slow down and change their life and the outcome of that. I mean, I know, I know you've done it. I've done it. Um, can you think of somebody else that's done it and done it well for well, the people who are making all the noise are the ones you're pointing your finger at, right? Who are, there's a kind of cult of stacked hard work. <laughs> this idea of, yeah, putting in the hundred hour week, sleeping three hours a night and so on. I mean, 
partly I wonder how true this is. You know, I, I suspect this, this is a kind of macho peeing contest where people are trying to outwork each other in through social media. But are they really working 180 hours a week? I mean, we'll clearly look at Elon Musk who's sleeping in his factory. That doesn't seem to be working out so well for him, does it? Um, I, I just think this is this is we're kind of in the end game here. If we if we, if we create a cultural arms race to work more and more hours. It just, I mean, it's it just pointless, A, because people become less, less creative. They start to make more mistakes. I mean, all the research shows that you can only squeeze so much meaningful, useful productivity out of a human being before, A, the human being starts suffering, and B, the company they work for starts suffering as well. And whether it's people making mistakes or fail, un, being unable to listen, uh, unable to focus. I mean, it's, it, it's just, it's, it, I don't know. I just shake my head when I hear these titans of industry coming out and boasting about getting up at two in the morning and stuff. <laughs> um, and, and I, you know, and I, and it, what really strikes me as tragic is that people hear that and think that that's the way they've got to live their lives. But are these, I mean, let's drill down into these people's, what's going on behind the Wizard of Oz curtain. I mean, how happy are they? How healthy are they really? How sustainable is this? How, how productive are they really? I've not seen any any metrics or any meaningful studies that would bear it out. It's just all seems to me macho posturing and hot air. Um, so I, I I got very little time for people like that, and I think they're toxic, and I think they should be they should I wish they would just shut up. And and if they want to work 120 hours, then go ahead and do it, but don't go lording it over everybody else. Uh, I, and and also be, I'd love to talk to these people 10 years from now. Um, when are they going to slow down at some point, and what's going to slow them down? A heart attack, an aneurysm, um, you know. There's so many other ways of seeing this this question. Um, as for examples, I mean, I think you find. I'm just trying to think if there's a kind of top business person who's come out. I mean, there's certainly companies have moved. You know, like um, Boston Consulting Group realized that its staff weren't taking enough vacation time and decided that it would have to, you know, not only give them more vacation time, but but lean on them to take it, right? Because they were realizing it was bad for, bad for staff, it was bad for the bottom line, and so on. Even on Wall Street, in the last couple of years, they capped working hours for bankers, junior bankers, young bankers. It took a couple of them dying at their desk for them to do it, uh, but they've at least done it, right? Yeah. Um, so so we, even in some of the most testosterone-drenched, show-off, workaholic corners of the corporate world, you know, there are examples of companies saying, uh, this is just madness. It's not, it's not good for anyone. It's not good for the company. It's not good for the people in the company. Let's try and roll back. Um, yeah. I was just reading about a company here in, uh, in the U S in Sacramento that, um, it's a, it's a marketing agency company and, you know, turnover, uh, in the marketing world is at, at 17%. It's, you know, it's pretty high turnover. So what the CEO did is he, you know, he went in the opposite direction. He, uh, at first, he gave his uh, staff basically unlimited vacation time, but he realized that they weren't taking it. And now he's taken it a step further, and he's actually giving people $2,000 to take vacation time. And the um, result of that case study that I was reading about is that um, he has zero turnover, yeah. which That's, is think, amazing. And, and it's it's amazing, but actually, in a way, it's not that surprising because because it's common sense, and right, and all the statistics and all the studies show that people need to rest, recharge, to be more than more than uh, box ticking, assignment filling, 
robots in the workplace. I mean, it's just, it's to create a culture where people feel they've got to work every hour of the day is just so poisonous. It's bad for business. It's bad for humanity. It's bad for society. It's bad for all of us. And so when examples do come along and like the one you've just cited there, I mean, Virgin, uh, Richard Branson's group, Virgin did something similar recently. They moved to unlimited vacation uh, and other companies have done similar stuff. There's a company that I think it's called, it used to be called 37 Solutions. I think it's called Basecamp now. Do you, have you yeah, heard yeah, them? Yeah, they yeah, yeah. The West Coast of the US and they've moved to a four day week in the summer months. Um, so, you know, there are many, many different ways of doing this. The slowing down thing or getting off the more hours is better treadmill. Each company will come up with its own bespoke, tailor-made solution that suits their way of doing things. But I, I, I feel like there's a kind of quiet sea change going on below the surface behind all the macho posturing of these 150-hour working um, stakanovites, there are many companies who are much more discreetly and much more quietly just saying, that's nonsense. We're going to slow things down. We're going to give our staff some time off, and we're going to thrive as a result. Right, right. And I feel like um, all this technology and um, like we're talking about social media technology, you know, information, I mean, it's coming out at all kinds of places and at a really increased speed but at the end of the day we're still human and we just can't speed up to the amount of information i mean we're getting bombarded with so many messages on a day-to-day -day basis which is probably why i you know i had to switch switch off i had to do digital detox i had to like unplug and i still you know i don't start my day looking at my phone i don't end my day looking at my phone but um but it's hard for people. I mean, th these are habits that we've we've fallen for. And how do you go about changing habits? It's a bit, it's a bit of an addiction now. I saw a study recently looking at the number of times uh, smartphone users touch their device in a day. And the average smartphone user touches their device in one day 2,617 times, right? <laughs> and the, t the top 10% are, are 5,000. 427 times, which is a lot of touching, right? I mean, that's more touching that goes on in the beginning of a romantic relationship. <laughs> um, and, and if it did, there was that much that you'd think was a bit creepy. Uh, so, you know, addiction, I think, is not an overblown word to use here. We just don't know when to switch off. We find it really hard to, to hit the off button, but we have to. And, and I think I, I, more and more I see a tectonic shift going on within whole world of tech and our approach to it when a new technology comes along we always go overboard it takes time to work out and social rules and cultural norms and so on for people to to switch off and more and more there's a move now to, to turn to turn off and to not necessarily go 10 days detoxing but just have a much more balanced relationship with the screen yeah so, you know all the big all the big tech companies like apple with their ios and microsoft they've all given us now devices to or or tools that can track our on online usage and switch off easily and you know my favorite words these days are airplane mode which is a quick switch on my phone uh you, you find new social rituals coming up have you heard of stacking this thing that people do now when they go out for a meal everybody piles up their phone in the middle of the table and whoever reaches first to look at snapchat or instagram pays the bill for everybody else right right, right. It's, it's just a, it's a nifty way of saying we have this moment here now never have it again why ruin it by trying to be in five other moments at the same time you know and um, I, I do a lot of work in Silicon Valley, and last time I was out there, I was doing a lot of speaking and sort of workshopping with schools and parents and parents who work in Google and Microsoft and all these companies. And I tell you what, you know, they're they're these people are on the front line, and what are they doing? They're in their own homes. They're 
having you know screen-free rooms. They're turning off the gadgets in the whole house for hours a day. They're not giving their kids iPads and tablets and phones until it's you know till till they're much older. Uh, schools are having complete blockouts on screens. Uh, it, it, you know the, the the dial is moving on this because we've just gone too far. And uh, I, I'm not a luddite. I love the gadgets. They're great, great fun, super productive tools, but. They do all have that little red button that says off on it. And if we don't use it, they start to backfire on us. And uh, I, I think more and more people are finding their own ways to, to switch off. You know, and it's I, I made a TV show in Australia called Frantic Family Rescue. So if you, you remember Super Nanny, right, I, I'm kind of like slow nanny in this program. I have to <laughs> slow down these very fast wired families in a month. And I always kick off on the first day with the same thing. I turn up with the gadget box and every Every electronic screen in the house goes into it for the whole month, right? So Xbox, phone, tablet, TV, everything, computers. And it's a, it's a pretty traumatic day. There are tears that day, I'll tell you. Mm-hmm. I don't just mean the children. Um, and But at the end of the month, you know, the families come back. And these are families who've been just, you know, emailing itself from room to room and kids playing seven hours at the Xbox or whatever. You know, and they come back with a very different spirit. You know, they, they want to be on their screens, but they start laying down rules, putting speed limits on the information superhighway. So having a room that's permanently screen-free or designating certain outings screen-free. So every time we drive to Walmart or wherever, nobody has a phone on. Or every time we go see Granny for the day, nobody has a phone on the car. Uh, Or having a a gadget box at the front door where people put their phones in and not use them for a couple hours after work or whatever it is. You know, every family, every household, every person will find their own way. But I think that this is what we're seeing more and more now that people are looking for ways to not to give up on the tech, but to use it more wisely. And you see it in the gaming industry as well. There's a big move in gaming now to have slower forms of gaming, you know, less of the kind of manic first person shooter, much more uh, slow, fluid, immersive, narrative drawn, uh, narrative style games. Uh, there's gamer came up with a, a game recently, which you make one move a day, you know, it's very slow. Uh, so there's lots of different ways that people are playing around with this to, to, to find a way to get a balanced relationship with their their gadgets again yeah absolutely um right on i mean there are so many movements and trends that i'm seeing right now that are like unplugging um establishing boundaries mindfulness um the word mindfulness i feel like it's it's a it's a become a very hot word um i mean i see all kinds of mindful movements and businesses opening um, here Slowing down, like like you know, you, you slow movement, um, all kinds of trends that are going in the opposite way because I think people are realizing that it, you just can't; it's, it's impossible, and they're they're craving that moment of stillness and that moment of, of boredom. I mean, when was the last time um, people allowed themselves to be bored? Right, we're constantly scrolling and constantly clicking and constantly consuming information and. And I come from a marketing background, so I know that the um, companies are out there to grab your attention. I mean, that's what that's what marketing is all about. Everybody wants your attention. So, as as much as it's um, addictive and it's scary, and there's that fear of um, being bored and finding out what's on the other side of that boredom, I think it's so important these days to 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 push in that direction. It is, and uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, boredom is, is a wonderful thing, but we're all terrified of it nowadays, right? Uh, uh, you know, we don't want 
too much boredom, but a little bit of boredom goes a long way, right? It's it's in those moments of unstructured time, of not knowing what's coming next, of restlessness that that we were able to look into ourselves. And also, there's a lot of research that shows that boredom unleashes creativity, both in the workplace and for children and so on. It's, it's, as kids, it's when we were bored back in the days before everything was a schedule and you had screens everywhere, you, you got bored, right? But you came out of the boredom because you had to use your imagination, that phrase that parents would always say if kids said they were bored. Well, go outside, play, use your imagination. Now, now parent hears the child's bored and thinks, oh, no, I'm failing as a parent. You know, Where's the iPad? Maybe we need another extracurricular to keep this child from being bored. No, let them be bored, right? Because it's, that's how they learn how to use their imagination socialize, enjoy the moment, you know, just get on in the world. And so I, I'm all for a little bit of boredom, right? I think it's not a bad thing to feel not sure what's coming next, that restlessness. And, and that's when you, you know, light up and start looking for things and coming up with things, forging ideas. So, so hey, you know, hooray to a little bit of boredom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and you're a really good example for somebody who um, switched off from that fast lane. And now, I mean, for example, you have four books, right? Uh, if you had stayed in that same fast lane, maybe you wouldn't have come up with, with the time and the creativity and, and, and the um, drive to write these four books. Um, there's another guy who um, I'm going to be interviewing <clears throat> maybe next month. I'd, I'd like to read a couple of his books first, but um, he decided to... Um, completely changed his life and got out of the U.S. and moved to Mexico thinking he's going to retire. Well, out of that retirement and a little bit of boredom came, you know, six books or however many he has. So I think a little bit of boredom and in allowing yourself to daydream and um, just let your mind wander, you know, and it could be done so, so easily. I mean, instead of like at the grocery store, instead of going straight to your Instagram, you can just do nothing. Like you did nothing on the plane. Or just or just look around. Yeah. Or maybe start a conversation with another human being, right? Yeah, that exactly. Doesn't to, that doesn't have to be a creepy <laughs> sort of me too moment, right? It can just be a, yeah. you know, that's, that's, we're, we are social animals, right? And, and yet our misuse of technology is coming between us and, and ourselves and other people. You know, we're more connected electronically than ever before, yet in many ways we seem more alone. And I think if it's when we slow down, it's when we put the screens to one side that we're able to, to form real bonds with people, to listen, to hear, to be heard, to, to be human, because that's what it is to be human, is to be social, is to be with other people. And sometimes, you know, this is one of the differences, I think, between the virtual world and the real world, is that the whole Silicon Valley worldview is about everything being frictionless, right? It's also fast and smooth and there's no friction. And if you're having a conversation and you can't think what to say online, you just switch to another conversation. Whatever. And that, that it seems so easy, but actually in the real world, a conversation with another human being can be a little bit awkward. You know, there can be moments of tension or not being sure what to say or awkward silences, uh, but that's what it is to be human, right? Yeah. <laughs> it, it, that is exactly how we learn how to be with others and being with ourselves. It's just being able to cope with that friction, right? That, those little moments of friction. I want to bring back friction. I don't want to get rid of all friction. Sometimes, of course, you want things to be frictionless. If I'm buying something online, I don't want to have to jump through 50 hoops to do it, right? But if I, I want my relations to have a bit of friction sometimes, right? That's, that's through friction that heat is created. Light comes from friction. I love it. 
So, Carol, you work with some companies in Silicon Valley. You mentioned the um, TV show in Australia. You have your books. What else are you? Um, what else do you do these days? Um, well, I've pretty much along the way. I've just given a, another TED talk, which will be dropping, I think, quite soon on my new book, which is called Boulder: Making the Most of Our Longer Lives. So, having written three books about one way or the other about slow, I'm now opening a new chapter in my life and writing about. Uh, aging and the attitudes to aging in a world where we're living longer than ever before. So that's a, for me, a, a thrilling new departure. So I'm, you know, new doors are opening on that front. Congratulations. Where, where is your I, TED talk at, at? Where are you going to give it? I uh, know I gave it last month. Oh, I gave you it did? three weeks ago. Okay. So it will, um, it was on, it was a main stage TED talk, my second one, because it was my first one was years ago when I, you know, for, in praise of slowness. Uh, so this is my return to the TED stage, and uh, all very harrowing, but also quite exciting. And yeah, so it, it'll come out soon, and we'll see what that leads to. And, and yeah, that's kind of where things are at the moment. I got a question for you. Um, were you able to slow down while you were delivering your TED talk this time around? <laughs> <laughs> I, think I, I think I spoke a little more slowly. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing about TED is that anxiety about the timings yes yeah. just so sort of wired into they got the clock going they got this weird clock that counts down to a minute and then jumps back to 90 seconds and stuff and it's just it's, it's all quite sort of anxiety inducing but yeah no i think i um i mean one one improves one learns from what happened before and yeah i spoke um I think I, I think I spoke slowly. Nobody said to me. <laughs> I love your talk. I had to watch it at least a few times. But then I started reading the comments, and you know, to me, it wasn't. To me, it wasn't fast. To me, it was. Um, you, you had a lot of content, and, and you wanted to deliver it, and you and you you were doing a great job. But then I started reading the comments, and I was like, oh, maybe he is a little fast. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's part. I mean, I, I don't think t my style is very. My style of speaking is very dynamic. So I, I move around a lot, and I, you know, my, my I use a lot of different cadence, and I gesticulate, and you know, my speed word per second is probably towards the quicker end. But I think it, possibly just the style gives the impression of speed. Perhaps I don't know. And the other thing to remember is that a lot of people who watch TED talks online are not native English speakers, so they would struggle more. You know, they're probably more used to hearing people, or it's easier for them to hear someone speaking English slowly, right? Right. Which you're not going to do, you're less likely to do that in a TED Talk, and certainly someone of my speaking style is less likely to do that. But, you know, if I find myself in front of an audience that's not English speaking, and I know that they're not going to, I'll just crank it down a gear, right, and speak more slowly, right? It's not a hard thing to do. But I, I just, I don't know, I, it's just my enthusiasm, and it's just my kind of energy is to be, quite lively so I, I think that, that this is a lively talk but probably it'd be interesting someone like maybe someone out there will do some speed study and, and be able to come back and say actually you know syllables per minute you were a little slower or maybe I'm sorry we see what the reaction to it is anyway yeah I can't wait to check it out is it online already no 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 I, I, it'll come out they don't tell you when they'll just come out sometime soon okay so I don't know yeah, do let me know. And I can't wait to uh, read the rest of your books. I think um, I was blown away by the first one. I definitely want to go back to the Italian city. I'm a bit of a foodie when it comes to uh, food and being from, you know, Europe. I want to go to that restaurant you were talking about in your first book. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, yes. I want to go back 
you know, I've, I've never gone back there, but um, it's definitely on my bucket list is to go back and have another four-hour epic slow dinner. <laughs> yeah, that would be awesome. Um, what else is on your list? What What's coming down the pipeline for you um, that you're willing well, to share? I, I'm going to be making a TV show with a guy called David Suzuki in Canada, who's kind of Canada's answer to Sir David Attenborough. Uh, about aging and our attitudes to aging. So I'm doing that for the CBC in a couple of weeks. Uh, I've got a lot of, I, of course, my book, my books always come out in lots of languages. So it's out in English now, but it's also out in, it's, you know, it's more, every time it comes out in a new country, I usually go and do publicity. So I've got a lot of promotional stuff to do. I'm going to be going for the French launch to Paris in about six weeks and then Slovenia and, you know, I'll be in Latin America again. So a lot of uh, travel around. Excellent. Well, um, where can people find out more about you and your books? Very easy. My website is the place to go. It's carlhonore.com. Excellent. Excellent. Is there anything else you want to leave us with, Carl? No, I think we've covered everything. Um, yeah. I, yeah. You know, just, just a reminder that slower is often better. Slower is... Uh... Slow is good. I couldn't agree more. Hey, thank you so much for taking the time today. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. Good luck with the book. And, uh, Many thanks. We'll stay in touch. Yeah, I hope to speak to you again sometime. Take care. This was Carl Honoré, the godfather of the slow movement. I love what Carl is doing and the message he's spreading. We're very, very aligned in our thinking that we need to slow down. We need to connect with ourselves, connect with other human beings, be human, create a list of what not to do, say no to things, allow yourself to be bored every once in a while. All great key points from Carl. It was such a pleasure to connect with him today. I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation. Connect with us at unhustle.com. And if you enjoyed the show, go ahead and leave a review. Thank you so much, my friends. Stay unhustled. Thank you for listening to the Unhustle podcast, a place where we have real, unedited conversations on the topics of hustle, burnout, stress, life in the fast lane, and more. We hope you enjoyed it as much as I did interviewing our guest. Connect with us at unhustle.com and follow us on social media at Unhustle Experiences. Thank you for listening today. Stay unhustled.